is the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Jerome McGinley gets his first goal as a Penguin. Yeah, um, what black guys did the Penguins pick up? Jerome McGinley? McGinley's black. <laughs> Bob McLaughlin joins me, courtesy of 84 <laughs> Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. An oldie but a goodie, right, Bob? Unbelievable. How do you remember those things? It's like, hey, how do, how do you forget those things? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, well put, well put. All right, so when Aginla retired, the announcement came out that he was going to retire, what, on July the 30th, he's going to make it official, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. his announcement date. So I thought of you, I thought of those moments uh, that we had on the X Morning Show. For how, how long do you think, when you and I were doing the X Morning Show, how many days in a row did we talk about would the Penguins acquire Jerome McGinley that year? Oh, my God, days. Did, did it exceed Derek Broussard talk by two or three or maybe even four weeks? You oh, tell yeah. Me. Let's let's put, you know, that's exponential right there. You can put it, to, you know, to the third or fourth power on that one. Uh, I mean, all of that waiting to see if we were going to get a Ginla, and then you finally get him, and that, I think, is one of the just misused experiments in the Penguins' history with playing him on the wrong side. I would I would love to go back you know, in the Wayback Machine and put him on the correct side and play him with Sid and see how that all turns out. But just stunning that it didn't work because everybody thought that was going to be guaranteed Stanley Cup that season. Well, what I wrote in Breakfast with Ben's, the joke that I wrote when we wrote the column about Aginla retiring was when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, Sid's going to be the one to induct him and Sid is going to have Aginla <laughs> over his wrong shoulder while he's doing it. Right. Again, well done. <laughs> With, with Dan Bilesma standing over the other shoulder saying, there's nothing wrong here. This, this is working out fine. Yeah, how, about, how does that happen? I, I mean, I, I, honestly, I how does that happen when you have that many people that they make their living knowing hockey? They make their living winning at hockey. And then you get a player like that and you don't play him in the right position. It doesn't work. He's gone. You know, and then he, he goes back to other teams. You know, he played in the league a number of years after that, and he still did pretty well, obviously. I not think he had at least two or three 20-goal seasons thereafter, but I went back and looked. He had five goals after he was acquired in the regular season by the Penguins, and he scored in only three of 13 playoff games oh. that year. Uh, yeah, not exactly what Penns fans back then were looking for. I, but part of the reason I thought of you and part of the reason I have such – you know, clear memories of the days and weeks, not kidding, months leading up to that trade, and then the moments thereafter was, do you remember how it went down the night before? Like, how long, literally, how long before we went on the air did we realize that Peng- that the Penguins had just gotten to Ginla that day? Oh, it, like, yeah. Five minutes? Yeah, exactly. Minutes? Exactly. Because I remember that night, it's, it's, it's as close to having a moment that I would never be able to forget negatively in my career that I've ever had because I went to bed at how late was it like after midnight that one one o'clock in the morning oh, something yeah. like that yeah it was way after midnight when the when it was said that the Bruins got him and I was like oh well okay so I did a ton of prep based on the premise 
that the Bruins got Aginla, and then I got in a little bit late that day because I slept a little too long. I thought the show was just going to take care of itself. I had all my thoughts pounded out and ready to go. It, it must have been between 7 and 10 minutes before we actually got on the air that we realized the trade went the other way. What's funny, though, is that uh, obviously we weren't on I, I was as surprised to find out that Aginla was a penguin as that guy was to find out he was black. Right. <laughs> And, you know, we weren't on Twitter at that time. I, I Maybe you were back. That was 2013, right? Yeah, yeah but I was, don't think I had checked it. Because, I mean, I, was, I might have even slept at the station that night, to be honest with well, you. Well, it's funny because do you remember how many different sites we were going through? And everybody had that he was with the Bruins. It was confirmed out the wazoo that oh, he yeah. was with the Bruins. And, and like, the Penguins Bruins fans, thought he was, he was a Bruin. Exactly. And Penns fans were incensed. And then the elation when you find, I mean, not only did the Penguins get him, but to yank him from the Bruins. Because, you know, at, at that time, the Pens and Bruins were much closer. It was a much more heated rivalry. Still is to this day, but nothing like it was back then. And to just yank him from the Bruins and have Beantown respond like that, that was just, you know, that was tremendous. Uh, by the way, I want to thank you as well for tipping me off to something else, and that was Brooklyn Chase's tweet earlier today that she'll be at Top Golf. Are you like me, having a hard time <laughs> visualizing in your mind the anatomy there and how she's going to hit a drive? Tim, I'm having a hard time. That's my exit to get home. I'm wondering how am I going to get home tonight because <laughs> that intersection backs up pretty far up I-79. Oh, south. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to say you're going to have a hard time trying to explain to your wife why you were going to Top Golf tonight on the way home. No, it's funny because, like I said, Top Golf is right up the road from me, so I follow Top Golf. And believe me, since the day that place has gone up. Since the day that the Penguins went there and hit the golf ball hit early and like kind of did a soft open, there hasn't been an empty spot at that place. So I can only imagine what is going to happen when Brooklyn Chase pulls into the lot tonight. Uh, why would you put that out there in the public? Well, because look what happened with Kiara Mia as soon as she got a little public attention. Maybe she'll wind up on TMZ like Kiara Mia and she'll have her searches on Pornhub go up 2,300%. Good point. I had never heard that name before. I had no How did we miss out was. on her? For all the all your smarter than girls that we brought on for over the years and whatnot, they came in from cheerleaders and from blush. How did we never have her on? No did idea. She ever, did she ever travel? I know she never didn't make on the it radar, big. Tim. That when she, you know the Jimmy Garoppolo stories were the first time I had ever seen that name, and I was like, "What is the big deal? Who is this?" Because in the first few stories. It just said her name, and there were a couple of suggestive pictures there, but it didn't say exactly what she did. So when you Google it, it's like, oh, you know. And then within 10 minutes after that, the next stories that came out were, oh, he's losing all his endorsements. What is he thinking? He's toxic now as a brand. And then everybody coming after that, no, he's not. Look what else. You know, other people have done stuff like this. I, I don't care about that. I just care about my own reaction. What does it say about me that my first thought in that regard was, gee, Jimmy, I, I don't know if she might be a little bit too old for me. <laughs> Not She's familiar 41. with one. How is she forty one? Have you seen the photos? Yeah, just yeah, just in the stories and stuff like that and the TMZs and everything. But yeah, I I wouldn't think forty one. I didn't go that far into the investigation, but I wouldn't think forty one. I know I'll be downloading in the end zone. That's well for sure. the crazy stuff was what she posted the first night. Obviously she was doing it for the publicity and to get, you know, her searches and her mentions up and everything. Because she was pretty graphic about how the evening was going to go after the yeah. dessert. So, <laughs> Well, that's what I said yesterday when I was on just ESPN Pittsburgh with her 
with that conversation is you know the first time Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get sacked by a Seattle Seahawk or a Los Angeles Ram, they're going to stand over him and say, how did that feel, cheesecake? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, look, you, you're probably going to see that referenced on the new season of Ballers. <laughs> you know, well, you're the, asking why she did it. I'll tell you why she did it. For the credit card. That's why she did it. Absolutely. All right, we're back at the 5 o'clock hour. I'm going to tell you somebody from the Pittsburgh Steelers that normally you're never mad at that you might get mad at here. That's coming up next. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden on the X and ESPN Pittsburgh. Hey, guys, it's Abby with your weekend in the Berg. Brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's, and we'll start you off with Ween at Stage AE tonight. That's going to be a 7 o'clock show. Mr. Small's Theater with day one of Migration Fest. Today's bill bringing Zombie, Chemist, Bong Ripper, Yellow Eyes, Dirkada, so many more. That's going to start at 4 o'clock. Howlers with Off With Their Heads, plus Spells, Night Marathons, and the early 30s. Black Forge presenting Summer Ween. That is presented by Still City Death Club. Good Grief, Fortune Teller, There You Are, and Remission. Don't forget, you got great shows tonight at the Rex Theater with Proving the Fifth. And Shanley Plaza has a free one for you with Denora and Chet Vincent. Get the full list. 1059thex.com, keyword weekend. WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Five o'clock hour of the Mark Madden Show brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name you can trust. Tim Benz with you here at St. Vincent College in Latrobe, where Kevin Colbert made some news earlier. Rare are the times do I think that Steelers fans get upset with Colbert, especially lately since the drafting and developing has gotten a little bit better than it was when the Steelers were missing the playoffs, sort of in the 2008-2009 draft class years. But Colbert fervently rushed to the defense of his coach, Mike Tomlin, today. Uh, In the wake of James Harrison's criticisms of Tomlin, as opposed to Bill Belichick and the lack of discipline within the team, here's what Colbert had to say. Quote, I'm very comfortable with this organization and head coach. People don't understand. They don't see Coach Tomlin in a meeting room. They don't hear Coach Tomlin talk to his team and watch them pay attention. They don't see him one-on-one in meetings with players, whether a player is doing something good or bad. They don't see him projecting and getting into their personal lives a lot. Then he goes on to say, team turmoil and all that nonsense wasn't a concern. After the Jacksonville loss, according to Joe Rudder from the Trib, Colbert said no organizational meetings were held to discuss the culture in the locker room or Tomlin's leadership. Again, a quote from Colbert. I had no question about our mental preparation, our internal organization, and how the team was run. Sure, guys do different things that maybe you don't like. Coach talks to them about sharing no team business on social media. He does a great job of understanding. Coach Tomlin understands generational players. He understands young guys. Steelers fans, I'll ask you, do you believe any of that? 412-333-W. XDX. Like I said, it's not often that people are going to disagree with Kevin Colbert. I think they will hear. Now, let me say immediately to that, I know why he did it. He was smart to do it. When the general manager comes out that fervently behind his head coach, it's an effort to diffuse what has become a national story and a national narrative, which is Mike Tomlin doesn't have control over his own team. And there's plenty of evidence 
to point to to suggest that's not the case. And I'll give you a couple of examples where I think Colbert may have glossed over immediately uh, exactly what he was talking about. And that has to do with players paying attention. Well, obviously, uh, Antonio Brown was not paying attention when he Facebooked live before the New England Patriots game. Obviously, and it wasn't in front of Tomlin, but it was in a coach's meeting room with Joey Porter, James Harrison was not paying attention when he fell asleep in the lounge chair. And to have no organizational meetings about it, to have no discussions about it, now that part is wrong. Something should have been discussed there. And if Tomlin does understand generational players of this era, he might get them, but I haven't figured out yet how he is reaching them better. Because they don't seem to be responding to his allowance of them being them, if you catch my drift. Like, for instance, Patriots players, San Antonio Spurs players over the years have responded to the tough love coaching of Bill Belichick and of Greg Popovich, just as an example. Now they aren't as much. So as a result, those two might have to loosen the reins. Look at what's happening with Brady. Look at what's happening with Gronk. Look what happened with Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio. Again, just sort of off the top of my head, that's the counter to it. But now, Tomlin might have to get a little tougher with his guys. You know, to say that it wasn't even talked about is problematic to me. When you've even got Marquise Pouncey, who used to be a contributor to problems like this early in his career and has gone not quite 180, but almost there in terms of being a leader to get guys back on the rails in the right direction, even he, not what, 72 hours ago, admitted that the players have to stop looking ahead to games like Le'Veon Bell did when he was tweeting about the Patriots before the Jacksonville Jaguar game. So this is one of those examples where I think Colbert was doing his job. I think Colbert was doing what he thought was smart. These quotes from Colbert, and they go on and on. I can give you more. They're expeditious is what they are. They're prudent is what they are. I don't know that he's buying it entirely, but he's saying what he has to say. It's just surprising to me the degree that he's going to to go to the mat for Tomlin and fall on the sword for Tomlin here, and maybe not just for the coach, but for the team. I mean, come on, there's got to be some self-accountability here, does there not? This can't just be all about throwing the spotlight on Tomlin for not controlling it. Control it a little bit yourselves. You know, and I'm not talking about Antonio Brown showing up in the Choppa. I'm not talking about Vince Williams showing up with the WWE belt and the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing. I don't care about that stuff. That was for fun. That was harmless. But when it's the more important stuff in game week or on game day, you know, somebody has to think that Mike Mitchell yelling down the hallway at the Jacksonville Jaguars if Tomlin isn't there to see it or do something about it himself, there has to be fear within another player on the team to say, hey, somebody pull back Mike or he's going to get benched here and we need him on the field. Again, 412-333-9939. I want to hear from you on that topic. Is Colbert right to defend Mike Tomlin as fervently as he did? We can also talk about the Le'Veon Bell thing that we discussed earlier. There are some out there who say that Le'Veon Bell, 17% according to our web poll, that think that Bell did nothing wrong in his contract negotiations. 
I couldn't disagree more. I want to hear your thoughts as to why specifically. And I want to talk about the Pirates, too, baseball-wise. Not just sit, deal, acquire at the deadline. This is a rare opportunity where we can actually talk about baseball with the Pirates. So let's do that as well. Bobo calling from the car. You're on 105.9 The X and ESPN Pittsburgh. Uh, what's up, man? I just uh, wanted to get your over-under 2.5 strikeouts for Sean Rodriguez tonight. What do you think? Who's pitching for the Mets? Uh, Vargas. I'll say under, and here's why. Under. I bet you somewhere. I bet you somewhere along the way, he probably has to get pinch hit for, or they'll do a double switch before he gets his third. Okay, that's that's a good point. I'm gonna go on like you know, it's hard. Gambling is hard. That is a hard number that you've given me there. Two and a half for Sean Rodriguez. But you know, here's the thing. At, at this point, are you like me that you, that you think that they don't want to bring Meadows up? because they know what they're going to do with Dickerson at the end of the year, and at this point they'd rather just have Luplo play out the year so that when Dickerson leaves, the thinking in the fans' minds is, hey, wasn't wasn't Austin Meadows great? And they don't want to give him a chance to fail here on the big stage again because that's what my thinking is as to why he wouldn't be playing and back up with the big club, right? Well, I think they were just trying to save money in the Super 2, to be honest with you. There could be that too. Sure, why not? Yeah, but... Yeah, probably trying to get him more at bats in AAA as well. But to be honest with you, I'd much rather see Osuna. He's a guy who rakes. Yeah, and then I don't know who they put in center field at that point with the injuries. I don't know if Luplo can play center field, well, can you he? Can, you can put Frazier in center field. I mean, he did it the other night out of uh, necessity, that be it. But um, he can still get it done, and he's an effective player offensively. Yeah, that's true. I, I forgot about that, but that does make sense. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's go to Pete on 79 South, somewhere near Brooklyn Chase. Hi, Pete. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Pete. Quick question for you, Tim. No, me, Tim. You, Pete. Take... Go ahead. Hi, that's right. How much is it going to take to get you back into Syracuse, buddy? And I'm market. I turn on every... Uh, let's see. How much would it take? Probably half of Bayheim's salary. How much would it take for you to drive off of 79 and into Top Golf and break your neck? Because I'm willing to pay. Whatever I'm making from all of the other stations that I'm on, including this one, I will gladly pay for that to happen. 412-333-9939. More when we come back. Also, when we come back on one of... By the way, we're simulcast today. I don't know if that's what's confusing people here. We're on the same time at two stations. That's why it's happening. We're on ESPN Pittsburgh and on 105.9 The X. Uh, we will continue talking about this when we come back. Also, it's not all sunshine and daisies for Belichick either, by the way. I'll tell you what I mean by that when we return. Problems with the Patriots, perhaps to a degree. Also, for the Browns and for the Ravens, too. All that's come next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden in two places on the X and ESPN Pittsburgh. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, I like him. He's a handsome guy. ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. At St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Tim Benz with you on ESPN Pittsburgh and on 105.9 The X today. Thanks for finding us. Coming up in a little bit, Ramon Foster of the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll talk to him about a number of different topics that's coming up before the top of the hour. Then at 6, I will stay on ESPN Pittsburgh. We'll go back to music on The X. Uh, just found some tweets here from Bill Brink on the topic of Austin Meadows and whether or not he will be called up. Here's what Clint Hurdle had to say. He said, uh, Meadows, if Marte is out for a couple days, quote, I think we'll wait and find out. We've never thrown a guy on the DL without giving him a couple days to work through it. 
these situations aren't any different than what we've had in the past. Uh, there'll come a point in time where we need to make a decision, and Neil and I will have those discussions about who needs to be a guy called up in case somebody would go on the DL, and that answer is Meadows. They should just do it now. Again, this is just a classic indication of them maybe not even buying themselves that they are into a wild card race. 412-333-9939. We can talk Pirates or those two Steelers topics that are on the table as well. Whether or not you think Le'Veon Bell did anything wrong as it relates to his contract negotiations, stunningly, 17% of you think he handled himself perfectly and you can't find a flaw. i got to find who those people are. And then whether or not you felt that Kevin Colbert was perhaps too diplomatic towards Mike Tomlin in his defense, maybe there are people out there that want to see him come down harder on Mike Tomlin and say, yeah, he needs to be more disciplined with this team. Let's go to Tom, who's been hanging on. Tom, go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Uh, related to Austin Meadows, so I'm hoping you can help me understand something. I'm thinking that the organization is hoping that Meadows in the future will be a key piece of the outfield. I think that's fair to say. If that's the case, wouldn't his development be better suited by just bringing him up? Don't yo-yo him back and forth. Let him get a few hundred at-bats this year. Is there that much of a financial incentive to, to keep him down that they don't get just throw him in, let him sink or swim? I mean, this well, well, no, you know what? I would have believed that they had gone with him out at camp and not gotten Corey Dickerson. You know, I, I don't have a problem with them playing Polanco, Dickerson, and Marte in the outfield since those three have been the biggest catalyst towards them winning. Like, you can actually, for the first time in a long time, suggest that what they did in terms of their lineup was about winning in recent weeks when he was sent down because those guys were playing well. And despite the fact that previously he had been hitting well, they weren't winning with him in the lineup, and then he stopped hitting. So like these these decisions that were made about him actually, Tom, were about baseball for a little while, and that was okay. Now, to your point, what's going to help his development? His development is as many at-bats as possible. Yes, it would be heightened here in Pittsburgh on the major league level, but if those guys are all hot and hitting the ball well, he's not going to get that as they continue their pursuit to win. That that's true. I'm 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 losing sight of Dickerson. I'm thinking uh, with Luplo in the lineup. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And rather have Meadows in there. But you're you're right. I would prefer Dickerson to Meadows right now. Yeah, I mean, if they were to bring him up only until Dickerson is back and healthy, so be it. But then they've got to put Dickerson on the DL first to make that worthwhile. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, it's it's kind of like, and we might talk about this a little bit later on. It's kind of like the Tristan Jari thing, right? I mean, I I would like Tristan Jari to be up and be the backup goaltender to Matt Murray because I think largely he's going to be that throughout his whole career but they also want to see him develop and not get too rusty and they feel like they have less of an investment to risk in that regard in Casey DeSmith and in fact they felt that DeSmith was playing better going into the playoffs we can debate that where the different splits between those two Meadows and Jari is that Jari is always going to be Matt Murray's backup right whereas it's so funny you mention that, and I, I don't want to take this on a tangent into the Penguins, but I, I often feel the same about the Penguins. Why not bring some of these guys up versus, uh, you know, keeping them down in Wilkes-Barre? Why not bring them up to the big show and, and really get them some, some experience? But I don't know. Like you said, it's, it, you, you can see it both ways. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it, Tom. 412-333-9939. Uh, yeah, the Jari thing is different because, like I said, if he were to come up and just be Murray's backup, that would at least be his job. 
I think so long as Matt Murray is here, he's never going to be a starter anyway. And if he plays and plays well, then another team could want him and trade for him and know what he could do on an NHL level. That's where I draw the differentiation between the situation that you got right now with Meadows and with Jari. But I do think it's analogous to a degree based on how the organizations look at them. They don't want them getting stale and not playing. And Meadows, if he's stuck behind those three outfielders while they're playing well, he's not going to play. They'd rather see him get at bats in the minors. And I'm fine with that if it's done in the name of actually winning baseball. And for the time being anyway, they were winning and playing well with those three guys and not Meadows. So for a bit, I was okay with it. You can also tweet at Tim Benz PGH. I said before the break that I get to this, and I don't want to run out of time, so let's do it. Because we were talking about um, how the Steelers have had their issues away from the field, that the Steelers have had their roadblocks before camp even began, what with the Le'Veon Bell contract situation and all the distractions uh, that we were just talking about that Kevin Colbert fervently defended Mike Tomlin over. It's not just them, though. I mean... If you look around at their specific rivals, their division rivals and the Patriots, it hasn't been exactly a bed of roses for those teams either. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, how about this quote to SI that came out from Jason Kelsey recently, the Philadelphia Center. Uh, he was recapping the NFC playoffs in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. He said, quote, That last defense we had seen in Minnesota, we were like, these dudes have some players. Then we see the Patriots and we're like, these dudes have some coaches that's the ultimate in complimenting through indictment it's a major tip of the cap to the pats coaching staff but it was a flat-out diss of the defensive front that they were seeing it's an ironic quote too because it was a game where bill belichick's coaching came most into question when it comes to the malcolm butler decision and his inability to come up with an answer to stop the eagles offense at any point it was also an opportunity for him to be praised for according to kelsey anyway keeping it that close in the first place and according to Boston Sports Journal, the Patriots still aren't any closer to having things ironed out between Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, and Bill Belichick. Greg Bedard wrote, according to multiple sources, nothing has been hashed out between the three of them, at least at this time. That could certainly change as they come off vacation and are ready for the season. But sources say the more likely scenario is that things are going to work themselves out slowly throughout training camp, if at all. And the last quote was, Belichick continues to be irritated that Kraft has increasingly interjected himself into areas that were largely Belichick's domain during his tenure with the Patriots. That includes the owner's deference to Brady and his role in the retention of Josh McDaniels. All right, so that's New England. Meanwhile, today in Cleveland, just when you thought they might be doing the right things at the right time, what do the Browns do? They go and work out Adam Pac-Man Jones. The same Pac-Man. Yes, that Pac-Man. Like, this is exactly the kind of player they're trying to get away from. Now they're getting the ultimate in him? As you just saw in the airport thing with Pac-Man, even when he's trying to avoid trouble, trouble finds him. That's not what the Browns need right now. And if they're avoiding distractions, this is a lousy way of continuing that trend. Do you hear me, Jerry don't call me Joey Porter. And then I'll give you what's going on in Baltimore. Because when you look at the Ravens, if you think that the Mason Rudolph, Ben Roethlisberger thing might cause a little static, it's going to be nothing compared to what's going on down there. You've already got John Harbaugh coming out and saying that we're going to give Lamar Jackson reps. Like, he, I saw a couple quotes from him in all places. Like the, I think it was a, the Toronto Sun. 
and I don't know why he did an interview with the Toronto Sun, but like he kind of beamed about it. He's like, you're getting it first. He even added that little quote in there. You're getting it first. Lamar Jackson's going to get reps at quarterback for the Ravens. Like, how do you think Joe Flacco feels about that? Now, maybe they told him, maybe they warned him, and you know, he said a lot of other deferential things publicly towards Joe Flacco, still made it sound like he was their guy, but the Mason Rudolph-Ben Roethlisberger thing is much more of an issue for Mason Rudolph and Landry Jones, not so much Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, we are eons away from that being an issue, I think. And when I say eons, at least one year, probably two. But at least one year, that feels like a lifetime, though, compared to what the Ravens are going to have with Jackson and Flacco. So for all the distractions, for all of the excess noise, and for all of the dealings that the Steelers put upon themselves, it's happening with other teams, too, that impact Pittsburgh. They aren't alone. They aren't on an island. And I think that's part of the reason why Kevin Colbert came out and you know, mocked the team turmoil thing and defended Mike Tomlin in the manner that he did. It's just the question that I have for Steelers fans is, did you want to hear that from the general manager? Did you want to hear Colbert do that, or were you preferring that Colbert hold Tomlin more accountable for that and hold the team more accountable for that individually? Forget the coach for a second. It might be nice if the GM just called out the players for keeping themselves in line. 412? 4-1-2. 333-9939. I'll take your thoughts on that. And when we come back, we're also going to get back into the Le'Veon Bell conversation, the reaction from other running backs on this team to the contracts that Bell and Gurley either get or will get or have gotten already. Is it really going to reset the running back market? There's some doubt there. I'll tell you why when we come back. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on the X and ESPN Pittsburgh. Tweet Adam at underscore Adam Crowley. Oh, no, finish your tweet. Just give us a second. There you go. Hashtag it. This is the Adam Crowley Show on 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. I suggest you go to my Twitter account, at TimBenzPGH. There's a fantastic photo from Chaz Pala of the Trib. Uh, captured what was really one of the better A-B catches I've ever seen. It was here in practice. We were watching it live at St. Vincent College. A one-handed, almost Odell Beckham type. He did it with a full hand, not with a th- two or three fingers. But same sort of deal in double coverage snared it brought it down and Chaz took a wonderful still shot of it it's flying around social media right now so check it out it's definitely worthwhile and one thing to bring up about him uh, for as much of a distraction as he has been uh, either during mini camps this year or the Facebook live stuff or you know whatever the case the celebrations and penalties that resulted uh, because of that I'm looking right, throwing the Gatorade jug, uh, complaining about Landry Jones on the sidelines when he came in from Ben. I'm looking at the sidelines right now. There is a mob around Antonio Brown. A mob. And my point, my reason for bringing that up is, especially as it relates to Le'Veon Bell, since we're going to get back into that in just a second here, I bring that up because all Bell needed to do was to accept the fair deal and all of the angst goes away. Like, all of it. All Bell 
excuse me, all Brown has done has, despite the fact that he's caused some headlines, all of the negative headlines about A.B. are of his own doing. Like, what frustrated me about A.B. and showing up the helicopter, nothing to do with the helicopter. It had to do with the fact that this is a guy who five weeks ago said he was getting too much media attention, then shows up in a chopper, then does his own personal apocalypse now. I mean, there's some irony there you can't ignore, right? After that, you know, it felt like mental breakdown he was having during minicamp. So that's the only gripe that I've got with A.B., but he shows up and he plays and he earns his money. If Bell showed up and played like he did last year after signing a deal, no one's talking about his yards per carry. No one's talking about the first three games. If he shows up, signs a deal, and is here for the long term and lives up to the uh, contractual numbers that you would think one would for a, a price tag that big, he's going to be forgiven. He would have been forgiven, even this year, even if he held a lot of money at the cap. A.B.'s holding a lot of money against the cap. If Bell had done it, it all would have gone away. And that's the frustrating part. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, looking down the hill. There's a mob scene around A.B. No one cares. And no one would have cared with Bell if he had showed up and signed the deal. But when you turn your nose up at $15 million and make it sound like it's nothing... When you turn your nose up at $33 million guaranteed to make it sound like it's nothing, you know, when you try to make yourself into a victim for being offered a contract that big, that's when you lose people. Even if he had signed after doing all that, I think you would have been forgiven. What do you think? 412-333-9939. In fact, back to that web poll that I put out there before we get to Ramon Foster in a little bit here. That web poll that I put out before the show was... What bothered you the most about how Love Bell's contract negotiations went down? Choice A was he rejected a good deal. 27% of you agreed there. 53% of you said he made himself a victim, and that's what bothered you the most. See, I just think that he's rejected a good deal. Todd Gurley, at some point or another, just said, this is a good enough deal for me. I don't have to go and get every possible penny in two years. This is a good enough deal for me right now. And I think what the Steelers offered Bell was a good enough deal for somebody who allegedly wanted to stay in Pittsburgh and continue playing here. I just don't believe now that that was ever the case. Based on what the Steelers offered Bell, I just don't believe him that he wanted to stay here, and I feel like he wasted everybody's time in the process. 16% of you said that you've got no problem with how Lev handled himself, and I don't know how that's possible. If you're in that minority, if you're in that 15 or 16%, tell me how, because I just don't see it. 412-333-9939. Now, to the last little slice of that pie, which was the reset the running back market BS, uh, that's something that Bell made abundantly clear on a number of occasions that he really wanted to do, that he really wanted to be the guy that reset the market for running backs, being the running back Rosa Parks, like I keep calling him. Well, it ended up being Todd Gurley instead. So, you know, I talked to a couple of guys, specifically the backups to Bell, in James Conner and Stephen Ridley, and uh, this is what Conner had to say. I don't have any business talking about that. I haven't done anything close to being talked about with contracts and everything. I'm just trying to go out there and make plays. Stephen Ridley uh, is on his eighth stop in seven years here in Pittsburgh, but, you know, he took quite a pounding early in his career. Six years older than Conner, he's even having a hard time gleaning any tangible benefit from the way Gurley and Bell have reconfigured their contractual expectations for running backs moving forward. What Ridley said, congratulations to Gurley, that's an awesome accomplishment, but for everybody else, you got to get in where you fit in. I'm focused on being the best me I can be and making this running back room better right now. 
to see these guys getting some cheese, some cake. It's always a good thing, but that's not my primary focus right now. And the reactions of Connor and Ridley were actually, I don't know, kind of refreshing in a way. It was almost as if two peers in the NFL running back club were having just as hard of a time relating to the dollar signs being thrown around as those of us who simply sit down and watch the football games. The notion that Bell and Gurley are playing cap-busting hardball with their current teams as some sort of altruistic effort to create a trickle-down economy for the running backs, their brethren, it's hilarious. In a cap sport, there's less to trickle per roster if a few guys at the top are soaking up so much of it. I mean, get paid what you can. God bless you. But more guys like Gurley and Bell at a specialized position, like running back, they're not going to create a running back middle class. It'll just mean more guys like Ridley and Connor who are on rosters. Journeymen on cheap deals and young players on rookie contracts. Those will be the guys behind the big ticket starters. I give Gurley some credit, though. Aside from not getting the $80 million he wanted like NBA players or $150 million like NBA players, Gurley got a number he could live with on a good team with a bright future, and he signed. Bell had that chance. He just seemed intent on chasing every last penny, regardless of circumstance. All right, a little bit earlier on, I touched to catch up with uh, Ramon Foster of the Steelers here at training camp. This is what he had to say about his contract expiring, blocking without Le'Veon Bell and the future of the Steelers in 2018. It's rare to have this many veterans coalesce for as long as you have. Yeah. Do you feel any internal or even external pressure to extend this window and make it happen this year a little bit of both for sure uh the biggest thing is getting it done and that's 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 getting the ring you know this has always been well, it's been a great quarterback or good lines or a good team good defenses you always cap it off with a super bowl so our, our goal right now is you know we feel it we understand it also we know what the city expects we know what the organization expects and um it'd be awesome to cap this era of, of linemen you know this young defense this, this great quarterback off with a, with a uh, super bowl yeah, and to that point about the line, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but excluding Ben, you know, you guys as a unit, it's cliche to say that lines are tight, that you've got a tight room. I feel like that's the case in most places in the NFL, but this one I've noticed, even in my time covering the Steelers, has been particularly such. Mm-hmm. You're in your last year, you know, Pouncey and Gilbert are both, what, eight years in or something like the that as well? Nine, nine and eight, right? Yeah. yeah, so with that being said, it's very much difficult to sustain a good line for that long without shuffling in talent. A, how have you done it, and B, how much longer can it happen? I think it's because of the early years, us, you know, taking the the, the, the media beating, the, the you know, the, the being getting sacked, all that turmoil and stuff like that, that, that made us grow up. And now it's a, a sense of us against everybody. You know, everybody that counted us out, everybody that dogged us and said we couldn't. Um, that's how we've become so close as friends, as teammates. You know, it's not just um, in this building or on the field. You know, we, we genuinely enjoy being around each other. And most teams would say that, but I feel like our process of how we got there is a lot different from most because, um, you know, guys had to grow up. And it was a hard group, you know, once we got together to get in. It wasn't easy for Al to become a guy with us. And, you know, he's, uh, I ain't going to say it wasn't easy, but. We were very stingy for the guys that, that got in before him. I was going to say, that kind of stopped in 2014, though, didn't it, as far as the media scrutiny on the line? Yeah, it did, but, you know, it comes and goes. And, and right now, you know, we're building to not go there. That's why we're 
we're so adamant about our young guys right now too is you know you guys go in the game and you guys are you know subbing in for a guy you got to show that there's no drop off and that's what we that's what we want to leave here whenever our era is up are you particularly that way with bj Absolutely. So, for instance, knowing that you're in your last year, your deal? Yeah, absolutely. My thing is with that is I want to get extended, too. So we'll see <laughs> how long this go. Uh, you, you talk to Art or Kev, let them know that's out there. But um, it, that's that's what BJ, if he's in for counsel with me or when, when uh, Gerald comes in, that's why you see us working the young guy in as, as a tight end all the time because the earlier those young guys get reps, the quicker you can move forward and, and have a stronger offensive line. And um, across the board, it's – don't take anything for anybody, and this legacy that we have going on must continue because to have a bad old line is almost like, well, what, what did the guys before them do, you know? So this falls on us. How do you find that role, sort of walk the line between doing whatever you can to get extended and being a mentor as well? It don't matter. My player take care of itself. It, I, I'm not stressed out about it. Uh, if, if it's it for me, then I, I fulfill my deal. Uh, I fulfilled it. Who would have thought is what I say. And um, with, with DJ, I want to see him succeed, so... So that's 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 how we are as a unit. There's, there's no there's no backlash and no strife between anyone. As a guard, DeCastro told me yesterday that it's overrated to worry about blocking for Lev and his style as opposed to the other backs. Is it? It is, and it, it might have just become the norm for us, but it's not even a thought. He's going to do what he's going to do, and you know, more times than not, he makes us right. He helps you guys. Yeah. You're saying absolutely, he does. He'll get the back linebacker where we want him to be, or. Uh, we might lo be losing on the block a little bit, and he'll he'll correct it. So um, it's, it's not an issue. It's not a thing that we say, oh, here he comes, or hey, we got so-and-so in. It's, it's never that case. Any update for us uh, player rep-wise on the whole anthem situation? Uh, nothing much more right now. Just them coming together. I don't know when the meeting is going to be held with the owners and the union, but um, we, we're at the table with them, and that's all we want right now. A pretty big catch by you guys then to make sure that didn't get pushed through without your signature Because there's, there's other things that they, that, that fell into that. You know, there's certain teams or certain states that can't all say they wouldn't find guys, and you have um, certain teams that said they would. So if you have certain teams that won't get suspended or won't get fined, and you have uh, the players represented by a union, the union has to fight for that because it's not even across the board. So that's, that's what we're trying to figure out, what's, what's what and, and, and what can they cannot do. Yeah, you couldn't pay me enough to be a union rep in the National Football League right now. I can't imagine the added burden that goes on for Ramon Foster and all the other guys who are in that role team to team for the various clubs around the league. There's so much uh, collective controversy going on with stuff like this when it comes to the CBA, uh, you know, potentially the work stoppage in a couple years, but also just the topics that exist right now about the anthem and so forth, punishment, discipline, the helmet rule, all this stuff. Uh, that is a job that I don't know Ramon Foster knew what he was signing up for. Uh, when he agreed to do it. Two points here before we get out. Uh, two other notes involved in the National Football League. And by the way, it is out there now. Kevin, Art Rooney II, Ramon wants back in. I don't know if anybody thought that he didn't play a union rep aside, but he does want back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Steelers realize how much they've got tied up veteran-wise in their offensive line already, and they might try to save some money by making B.J. Finney a starter or trying to address that in the draft next season but uh, i love having ramon foster in that locker room and i hope that they figure out a way to keep him uh the two other notes i want to pass along to you des bryant also apparently set to work out with the cleveland browns this because of what's going on with josh gordon and his situation just saw that before we got to the ramon foster interview and boy is lev gonna be pissed about this one you think he's upset about todd Gurley? 
Wait till Le'Veon Bell hears what Nick Saban got. Nick Saban, head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, eight years, $74 million. I didn't know there was $74 million in the entire state of Alabama. Where are they getting all this money? Eight years, $74 million for Saban at Alabama, and he's not even a wide receiver. I'll be back with you on Monday in for Mark. I'll be back in studio. Thanks to Wes out here. Thanks to Tom upstairs and Bob back at the X. I'll take a quick timeout here. I'll hand things back over to Music on the X and come back for one more hour on ESPN Pittsburgh. Then Crowley and I are at Geo's from 7 until 9 as we continue the marathon day of training camp here at St. Vincent College in Latrobe.